My name is Dawson Taylor. I have the great privilege of serving as senior minister. And I'm Reverend Angela Wells-Bean, and it's my privilege to serve as your minister for congregational care, trusting that many folks are joining us online this morning. Exactly. So I attempted to blame this morning's weather. So if you are watching online, if you're not here in Florida, we're experiencing some pretty severe weather this morning. And so I blamed it all on Angela since you're preaching, but then you blamed it. Yeah, no, it's actually Becky's fault because our final hymn is rain down and, and Becky manifested this morning's weather. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it's the trickle down effect. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but we are, we are glad that you are here. And, uh, and we, uh, if you're worshiping here in the sanctuary or if you are worshiping online, if you're worshiping in the sanctuary, we do want you to know we are monitoring the weather, and, uh, and if there is uh, anything of concern, we will respond uh, accordingly. Uh, I hope that you'll register your attendance. There should be uh, blue registration pads along the row, and if you are worshiping virtually, uh, please use the comments section to let us know where you're worshiping from so that we might uh, know how best to be in ministry together. Yes, and also following the service today, there should be a visitor reception if there's anyone to attend it. It would be in Nelson Hall, which is directly across the sanctuary, across the gathering place. And this is for folks who are new to our congregation, who want to learn more about our church, get to know some folks from our uh, membership and growth committee, as well as have some conversation with Dawson and I and some good food. So. If you're new to our congregation and you're here in person, please do join us. And if you're not going to that reception, you're also invited to fellowship hour. Uh, this morning is in McSpadden Hall, um, not in the middle of a rainstorm in the gathering place, just so you're aware of that. And then uh, this Thursday evening at 7 o'clock, if you are uh, interested in membership, perhaps you've attended a visitor reception previously, you are invited uh, to an evening with your pastors. Again, that's this Thursday at 7. If you wish to uh, register for that, you can just let us know in the church office and, and get all the details about that. So we want to invite you to that, either if you attend a visitor reception this week, uh, th today rather, or if you have in the past. Indeed. And now, as a growing congregation, let us center our hearts and prepare ourselves for worship. Siblings, rejoice. We are sustained by God's presence and love. As we mourn the wounds of God's children, God weeps with us. As we struggle for justice, God struggles with us. As we strive for peace, God strives with us. As we work to build the beloved community, God works with us. Siblings, rejoice. We are gathered to worship our God who weeps with us, struggles with us, rejoices with us, and sustains us. And I would invite you to join with me in our invocation. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, you call to us across deep waters and dark places. Yours is the light which guides us and the voice which we follow. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us as we gather for worship. May those without hope be encouraged, those who are sad cheered. Those who are seeking find you. In the name of your beloved child, we pray. 
Amen. It is given to only a few people, oh God, the ability to rise above the crowds and become symbols of hope and passion and inspiration for all of us. We thank you for these people and for the ways they remind us of our call to care for all the people of this earth. We praise you today on the weekend devoted to Reverend Dr. King for the qualities that shaped his life, for a strong sense of justice that regarded all souls as having importance in your eyes, for an unshakable belief in love and gentleness that would not permit him to turn to violence in order to achieve his dreams, for a commitment to sacrifice that led him forward without regard for his own safety and for an ultimate trust in you that you never abandon those who stand up for truth and righteousness in our world. We mourn what the world did to him, the pain and the degradation, and finally, his death. But we celebrate the dream for which he stood, a society where the lion and the lamb would lie down together, and that children of all races and cultures and backgrounds would mingle together in sweetness and harmony of spirit. Help us to be as committed to that dream as he was, to care as much about the poor and disenfranchised as he did, and to be prepared to pay the price that he paid. Teach us to love all people as our siblings, to care about their welfare as much as we care about our own, and grant that we shall always have heroes whom we can turn to for their moral clarity, their unremitting courage and their passion for righteousness, that they may be models who can show us how to follow in your way. Some people are prophetic public speakers. Some are quiet leaders. Some are empathetic listeners. The artists are creators. Some people are better in crowds and others are better one-on-one. -on -one. We are thankful that you have blessed each of us with unique gifts which we can leverage to bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. Forgive us when we think we have too much going on in our lives to make a difference, too many crosses of our own to bear, for we know that there is never a convenient time to change the world. But help us to see that all that we do for our loved ones, for our friends, for strangers, and for society, those are all baby steps towards helping us bring about the collective healing of humanity and manifest the reality that is your will for all of creation. We pray all of these prayers, O oh God, in the name of your Son, our ultimate role model, teacher, prophet, our brother, Jesus, the risen Christ, who first taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture reading comes from 
the gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Hear now what God would say to you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May our still speaking God bless to us the hearing of these ancient words. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we as humans are wired to avoid change because change causes discomfort. We would rather stick with what we know simply because it's familiar, even if the different thing is better for us or our community or the world at large. As a consequence of this, over the centuries, I believe Christians have subdued Jesus' teachings. We have domesticated it and interpreted it so that it supports our lives and our lifestyles at that moment in time. We are resistant to change, so rather than digging deep into the historical analysis of the scriptures and seeking to understand how people lived in the ancient Near East and how Jesus' followers applied his teachings in their context— We would rather take our lives as they are and reinterpret Jesus' message to support our lifestyles. Now, please don't get defensive about this. Christians have been doing this for hundreds of years. This is how the Bible was used to justify and defend slavery, among other things. You can take Jesus' teachings and the scriptures and make them support any perspective you have if you warp them enough. The problem with this is that we end up creating Jesus in our own image and worshiping that creation that conveniently agrees with us rather than the Messiah who lived 2,000 years ago. Now, in today's text from the Gospel of Matthew, we heard Jesus say, love your enemy. And I think we have forgotten how radical and life-threatening it was for Jesus to make that statement. This is where the historical analysis is really helpful so we can stay true to the meaning of the text rather than subduing it. In the Roman judicial system, the punishment for wrongs was more severe than the wrong that was committed. And this was intended to dissuade people from committing crimes. The norm was that if someone committed a crime against you, you were supposed to want a punishment twice as bad as what they did to you. 
Jesus challenged this criminal justice system. He said, no. Love your enemy. Don't insist on their punishment. In fact, pray for them. He's trying to stop the cycle of violence and vengeance as Jesus knew and Reverend Dr. King said, because violence only begets more violence. Jesus was inviting us to live out a very challenging love, the love that we should extend to that person that we fundamentally disagree with. This is a love he modeled on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was forgiving those who killed him as he took his last breaths. Now, Jesus' audience was full of peasants who lived at subsistence levels, and so they hated this message, especially when they saw it get him killed. They knew the heavy taxation of Rome. They experienced the evils of political oppression, and they wanted Jesus to rescue them. They were the ones who were going to finally have the power. And Jesus tells them, no. We are not playing by their rules. You cannot dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. God's kingdom is bigger than Roman rule. God's power is greater than the Roman Empire. And we all know what happened to that. God's justice of loving your enemy will prevail. God can take, um, excuse me, they can take my body, but they cannot take my love now, please don't misunderstand me. This love isn't passive. It's not a doormat kind of love. It doesn't mean enduring oppression without hardships, without complaint. It doesn't mean accepting your lot in life if the lot you've been dealt means oppressive living or working conditions. This radical world-changing love means loving your persecutor so much that you want to work to undo unjust systems because you know that those systems harm your oppressor as much as they harm you. These Christian values deeply influence Reverend Dr. King and his ministry. And just as we have subdued Jesus, I fear that we run the risk of diluting Reverend Dr. King's message as well. We forget the many threats on his life, just like Jesus, and we forget that he was first and foremost a Christian. He's often praised and remembered for his civil rights work, but it seems that sometimes we forget he was a preacher. Listen to the coverage you hear about him today and tomorrow in the media. They often refer to him as Dr. King. They conveniently drop the reverend in his title. He was Reverend Dr. King, and he said that being a preacher of the gospel was his first calling and his greatest commitment. All that he did to champion the civil rights movement was informed by his commitment to Christ and his calling as a pastor. His ethic of nonviolence, of radical love, beloved community, it all came straight from Scripture. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Romans, among others. And so Reverend Dr. King wrote a sermon entitled Paul's Letter to the American Christians. And it was him imagining what Paul might have said to American Christians living today. And here's a short excerpt from that sermon. 
King talks about his commitment to Jesus' self-sacrificing, turn-the-other-cheek love by saying, Americans, you may give your goods to feed the poor. You may give great gifts to charity. You may tower high in philanthropy. But if you have not love, it means nothing. You may even give your body to be burned and die the death of a martyr. But if you have not love, your your blood was spilt in vain. Without love, benevolence becomes egotism. And so the greatest of all virtues is love. Loving others is hard work. It means asking the hard questions and making an investment and seeking out the answers. Loving our neighbors, it doesn't mean simply waving at them when you're both in the driveway. It means asking why their grandchildren and most of their grandchildren's generation is having trouble getting on their feet. Loving our children and our grandchildren doesn't mean just paying our taxes to fund their schools. It means asking why more and more young people are being diagnosed with anxiety and depression and why suicide rates for children are on the rise. Loving our elders, it doesn't mean simply visiting them on occasion or writing notes. It means asking why they can't afford to stay in their homes, why they can't afford long-term care, why they're making the choice between affording medication and affording food. Loving our enemies. It doesn't mean simply avoiding them. It means asking why are they our enemies? Why do they dislike us? How do they see us from where they stand? Loving our low-income neighbors. It doesn't mean simply giving them the phone number to the food bank, but asking them what barriers are keeping them from financial independence and trying to address those. Loving creation. It doesn't mean simply buying a hybrid or electric car, but it means working to minimize our city's environmental impact and asking our elected leaders, what are we doing to combat climate change and how can we be doing more? Loving our LGBTQ plus neighbors doesn't simply mean celebrating marriage equality, but making sure they have equal protections under the law and in the workplace. Loving our service members. It doesn't mean simply donating to veterans' causes, but supporting lawmakers and legislation which keep them out of harm's way, and then demanding that the VA system is funded so they have access to the care they need, especially when they come home from deployment. Loving Loving our neighbors of color. It doesn't mean simply being kind and patting ourselves on the back, but it means asking ourselves, Why don't we have any neighbors of color? And if we do, are we in relationship with them? Do we know what their daily lives are like living in the United States? Would they trust us with their story? Loving our Jewish neighbors. It doesn't mean simply attending an interfaith service, but asking how we can help them feel safe, how we can leverage our Christian privilege to combat anti-Semitism. This is especially relevant in light of the terrible hostage situation which took place yesterday at Congregational Beth Israel in Coleyville, Texas. Thanks be to God that all the hostages were released safely. 
living out the radical love of Christ means taking the time and energy from other areas of our lives to seek the elusive answers to these hard questions. It means risking our reputations and our relationships and maybe even our own lives to create a more equitable world. The love that Reverend Dr. King and Christ modeled is not an easy road. They were both killed for living out this values, but living out these values, but I will go so far as to say that this is what makes life worth living. I have attended and presided over a lot of memorial services and celebrations of life and the decisions we make now. This is what will affect how we are remembered and the legacy we leave for those who will come after us. I have sat with many people at the end of life, and I can tell you that almost everyone wants to be known as someone who left the world a little bit better than they found it. I have not met anybody who in their last days of life told me they want to be known for maintaining the status quo. We can change the world, but we have to be willing to change. We can only love deeply and radically and vulnerably if we're willing to take the risk of asking the hard questions and being open to the answers. It is through this persistent quest that we change our small corner of this great world. And if we love like these mighty prophets, Reverend Dr. King and Jesus call us to, at the end of the day when the sun is setting on our lives, we will know we have done something worthy with our one wild and precious life. I will leave you with these words from Reverend Dr. King. Over the centuries, men have sought to discover the highest good. This has been the chief quest of ethical philosophy. Plato and Aristotle sought to answer it. I think I have an answer, America. I think I have discovered the highest good. It is love. This principle stands at the center of the cosmos. As John says, God is love. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. Are we willing to take the risk to love others? As you're going about your week and you're thinking about how you can live the radical love that Reverend Dr. King and Jesus modeled for us, fear not. We are all in this together. And may you know that you are a beloved child of God. You are created in God's image. And I pray that you go in peace. Amen.